Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Chad James. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be joined by Nico and Olivia shortly. So let's get you guys up to speed on where this case is at. Opening arguments begin today in Delaware ahead of an anticipated five-week trial. Dominion Voting Systems is suing Fox News for defamation over what they claim were numerous false claims made by Fox News that Dominion's voting machines used in the 2020 election created voting irregularities. The implication being that the election was stolen and Donald Trump was the rightful winner, not President Joe Biden. Now, here's the thing. We all know that Fox News, Donald Trump, and some of his closest associates, mostly lawyers, made this all up. We know that voter fraud did not hand Joe Biden an election victory. We know the election wasn't stolen. In fact, the judge in this case has already set the parameters for the trial, being that Fox News cannot use a so-called truth defense. So basically, they can't say... Yeah, sure, we did push the voter fraud stolen election narrative, but we did it because it's true. The judge has already ruled that the stolen election narrative was false. Fox News cannot seek to prove it was true as a defense. So then the question is, if the court has already established before the trial has even started that Fox News assertions in their broadcasts that voter fraud robbed Donald Trump of the presidency, then why is this even going to trial? What is this trial for? This is an interesting one, folks. You're going to want to stick around for it. Hey, Nico, Liv, how are you going? Hey, team. Thanks for joining me. Look, the story so far, let's get everyone up to speed, quick, smart, so we can go into the juicy details. Basically, at the 2020 presidential election, Fox News was the first one to come out and call the pivotal state of Arizona for Joe Biden. Now, Trump didn't like this, and that's where Trump began his quest to trash Fox News and sort of sided with another right-wing outlet called Newsmax. So the end result was that a few days after that election, where Joe Biden had clearly won, Fox News ratings, who, mind you, were at record highs in the lead-up to the election and on election day, I I literally think it was the record uh, for them on election day, they basically started losing viewers because the right-wing narrative, you know, and in the US, the right-wing is so much bigger than it is here, right? But the whole right-wing voter fraud narrative was growing so strong that Fox News quickly figured out that they weren't on top of it, that they weren't covering it, and that their audience wasn't getting what they wanted from the network, So according to what we know so far, Fox News made a conscious decision to start pursuing the Dominion voting systems, the the machines that were used in some of the um, voting booths 
to you know do electronic voting. We don't have that here in Australia, but they do in the United States. That they were fraudulent, that they were you know scraping votes and using algorithms to manipulate votes to benefit Joe Biden. Now, Dominion voting systems say that you guys wrecked our business. This was defamatory. This was organized. And they're suing them for $1.6 billion US dollars. That's basically, in a nutshell, where we're at. Now, for those of you who follow us and, and have heard some of our other commentary on legal cases, particularly more recently with uh, Bruce Lerman's defamation proceedings, what you'll notice is in the Western world, so in the United States, in the United Kingdom, and obviously here in Australia, courts are becoming more and more aware of how powerful, wealthy plaintiffs and defendants on both sides use their wealth and power to drag out legal proceedings so that they can sort of milk their opponents and force them into settling with them, right? We've all heard that, you know, court, courts benefit those who have money and have power and, you know, have the knowledge to, you know, drag things out. So courts are becoming increasingly aware of that. And, and what they do is they try and narrow the, the essence of the case down in pretrial hearings. We have them here. You've probably heard us talk about interlocutory applications, and that's effectively what they seek to do. They try to narrow down the the nature of the of the trial so that when it gets to trial, it's not this super long dragged out trial that basically benefits whoever has more money and the legs to go to the end. And so as a result, the trial is starting today, but the judge has already made all these rulings. And some of them are really, really interesting. The judge has ruled that Fox News cannot argue that they covered these false claims because they were newsworthy and they were just covering the news. So that's that's the first thing. He also said that they can't argue that these were just the opinions of the hosts and therefore the actual corporation, the actual company isn't liable for broadcasting. So that's what we call vicarious liability. They're, they're all lumped into one, the broadcasters, the producers, and the actual corporation uh, itself. Now, probably the most interesting point is the judge said that they can't argue that the First Amendment is a defense for actual malice. Now, I, I might come back to that because there's a lot to sort of unpack there. But finally, the judge said that Fox News cannot argue that they figured out in hindsight that the claims were false and therefore fact-checked themselves after they broadcast the false claims and realized, oh, you know what? Maybe we were wrong at the time. Now we know, you know what really happened, that there was no vo voter fraud or, or extensive voter fraud like we made out to be. Uh, we're now you know, better for that in hindsight. So the judge says, no, no, you can't do that. The other side of the coin is that the judge said that Dominion, well, you're not allowed to argue that Fox News airing of these false claims contributed or led to the attacks on the US Capitol on January 6th. And you can't go through any personal threats that employees of Dominion received in the aftermath of these false claims being aired. Even though that did happen and they needed to beef up their security, they can bring it up 
in the trial, but they can't go into those details. So then now that we know what both sides are limited to, what is the actual essence of this case? So what they need to so what they need to prove is what was being what they were saying on ear was false, but they brought like they might have known it was false, but they broadcast it anyway. Is that what? Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Yep. Just so I understand. Yeah. So the, the court has already established that what they said was bullshit, that it was yeah. made up. It was a conspiracy theory. That's and not, they can't use the truth defense, right? Yeah. So that's not what this gone, case is about. This we know case, it's not true. Yeah. This case was about who knew what, when did they know it. And what action did they take with that knowledge? So yeah, like they Nico, check themselves, yeah. Yeah. So there's that precedent case from the US Supreme Court back in 1964, New York Times and Sullivan, where they established that to sue in defamation, the plaintiff must prove that there was actual malice. So that either means that they knew the statement was false when they said it, or that they had a reckless disregard for whether or not it's true. It's it's highly nuanced, but I, I just think it's interesting that the judge has like wiped all of that out and just said, this is the only thing that we're going to talk about. <laughs> so everything that you do, if you go out of that, if you go into those defenses or arguments that I've already ruled on, there will be an objection and you will not be allowed to go down that road. So don't even try. We want to stick to actual malice. So did Fox News and all of the above that worked there who were involved in making these false claims, did they know that they were false? And in a sense, what was their intent by, you know, broadcasting these allegations? And then it goes down to damages, right? Dominion will have to show that what they said actually cause them damage. Correct. Yeah, they Economic. have to make that link. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's all good and well. Yep, okay. So this, the claims were false. Uh, you, you intended harm. You, you made those claims with actual malice. Okay, fine, but there were no damages. All right, well, why, why are we here? So that yeah, that's right. The jury in this case has to determine you know, it, what the damages were if uh, they are found liable. So for Dominion, how do they prove actual malice then? Well, they're going to use internal communications, which I'm sure most of you listening have heard about already, you know, text messages, emails, including from Rupert Murdoch himself, that show their state of mind and their knowledge of the veracity of the claims that were being made and at what time. And that's effectively what this case will be. This is not going to be some really juicy, sexy legal case where you hear these, you know, big sweeping statements. This is going to be a forensic examination over the next five weeks of emails, text messages, uh, correspondence, uh, diary entries, anything that they were able to get their hands on in discovery that shows what they really thought behind closed doors. Now, we've seen the text messages, like I'm saying, with Tucker Carlson, with Sean Hannity, with Laura Ingram, with uh, Janine Pirro, where they're basically making it clear that, hey, we're losing ratings. You know, Rupert Murdoch quite early on figured this out in his correspondence with the CEO of, of Fox News and the president of Fox News that, hey, we're losing to CNN. He literally said they're creaming us. So that's how Dominion will get over the line. And I think most people observing 
see that this is a pretty basic case where they have all this. I mean, usually you don't have all this stuff that you get from discovery that shows like clear and simple that this was an orchestrated effort. I think like the very nature of a news organization, of a media organization, is that there is so much strategy talk that if there's a subpoena in, in discovery, you will know exactly what their strategy was. And, and that's what we're seeing. Chad, it seems to me like uh, Fox was suffering a bit of uh, audience capture. Yeah, like a lot of audience capture. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is what happens when you kind of uh, play to the right wing and they don't like what you're saying anymore, right? So, it, it, I mean, it, were they saying it all went downhill from when Fox actually called Arizona for Biden? And yep, yep. I think Trump actually came out and said during the, uh, the end of that presidential election that people should be watching Newsmax instead. So what happens when, you're, when your right-wing uh, audience goes even more right-wing and they start watching Newsmax? Yeah, and that was the problem for the Republican Party. We've spoken about this previously, right, in bits and pieces. The Republican Party needs Trump more than he needs them. Like, he's converted so many young men who, who, who maybe weren't sort of politically active, maybe who weren't voters. He got them on board. He got them out of their basements and to register to vote and to support him and to become, you know, card-carrying Republicans. Right-wing populism, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of like an idol for them. And that yeah. was all Steve Bannon behind the scenes. He sort of taught Donald Trump what right-wing populism was and how to weaponize it. That's, that's a different story. But definitely, yeah, audience capture, Fox News, they, they were really stuck. And, and Rupert Murdoch, I mean, that, that guy's been around for <laughs> nine decades. Dinosaur. He figured it out pretty quickly. So my understanding then is the picture that Dominion are trying to paint. The Fox News initially didn't bite at the stolen election uh, news after it happened. So they were more, I think, was it Rupert Murdoch said that's normal after election? So they thought it was like a normal little down thing that would happen and they'd go back up. Yep. And then obviously because they haven't been reporting on it as much, Trump's obviously gone and put his own statement out through Newsmax and people have begun to go over from Fox News to Newsmax to where Trump's been speaking and pushing his own story. Yep. Is that... Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and it really did. I mean, this really was a concerted effort by Trump at the top and his inner circle of, of lawyers. I mean, you're talking about Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, two Trump lawyers who were like full on pushing this with anyone that would listen to them. And Newsmax gave them that platform, but Fox News were hesitant at first and then, like you say, Liv, that they basically had to make a commercial decision and start peddling the stolen election narrative. Yeah, because they were too small then. They'd lose their audience if they didn't. Yeah, so like Nico's saying, it's, it's classic audience capture. It's classic pandering to your audience. It's classic echo chamber. I mean, this is Fox News MO. The problem, though, is that this wasn't one of those, you know, interpretation things. This wasn't spin. There's a difference. I mean, let's go back to the legal stuff here. There's a difference between political spin and, and defamation. And that's why it's so important to go back to this 1964 case, this precedent that everyone talks about, New York Times and, and Sullivan, 
And I actually just want to make reference to a couple of uh, the judgments from that case itself. This is so interesting, right? In that case, the court held that, look, if there are inaccuracies in reporting, I mean, in this case, it was a New York Times advertisement. I don't want to go into the details, but there were inaccuracies in that advertisement for this case in the New York Times in, in the 60s. Now, if you have inaccuracies, does that mean that it's defamation? At what, like, how far does that First Amendment protection go? So the court basically said, and here's a direct quote, that erroneous statement is inevitable in free debate, and it must be protected if the freedoms of expression are to have the breathing space that they need to survive. So the court said, no, no, we agree that this First Amendment is important for American culture and American discourse. We understand and we accept that it's as part of healthy debate, you will have factual inaccuracies. We can't expect all debate to be factually accurate all the time, everywhere and always. They appreciate that. However, they said, you can't obviously have that free for all. That's also un-American. We need to protect the truth in some way. So the solution that they came up with was this. They said that the importance of safeguarding that breathing space that's created by that First Amendment, it required that erroneous statements are protected if they're honestly made. So if they're made without malice. And that's where the whole idea of malice comes from is, sure, you can have a debate in the public domain, you know, through whatever medium we've got, social media, all of this sort of precedent extends to social media quite nicely, I think. You can make these inaccuracies in the course of debate. However- so honest, mis honest mistakes are okay. Right. But if you know that you're making a false statement and even worse, if you're reckless- as to the veracity, given that the, the truth is available to you, which in this case it was, we'll explain why in a second, then you're no longer protected by the First Amendment. That I think is, is, is quite beautiful. <laughs> so so that'd be called like bad faith? Is it, if it's, if yeah, it's I think so. Bad faith, yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so why, why, why did they know? Why did they know it was false, Chad? <laughs> That's a good question, Nico, because Dominion sent them bloody emails. That's how. Dominion were emailing Fox News, correcting the claims that, were, that they were broadcasting. Dominion right, was right, fact-checking Fox News and sending them emails and Fox News disregarded them and kept peddling the conspiracies, even though they had evidence from Dominion that it was false. I mean, you've told me this as a journalist, right? So as a journalist, you get a piece of information and you usually fact check it against, you know, you might have one source for that information, but you'll, you'll try to verify it with another source that might know, right? Did they do any of that? Well, I think it's worse than that for them because, it's, it's because they knew that it was false. Right. They, they, they didn't need to. Like, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you can throw mud and then, you know, have someone defend themselves. Like, you, you can say, you know, prove to me that you're not a racist. That, that, that doesn't make sense. You know, if you're going to make an allegation, you need to have proof. Now, we know, and this is why, again, we keep going back to this. We know already, the judge has ruled that Fox News cannot try and prove that these allegations were true because there's yeah, no yeah. evidence to support that. So... 
we're getting a bit technical here, but the the default position was that there was an absence of evidence that shows that there was widespread election fraud. So on that basis, Fox News did not have the, I guess, the the springboard or the platform to start broadcasting these false claims from. Now, to make matters so, worse, they had emails from Dominion explaining why they were false. So who was the uh, who was the source that said that that they knew that um, Dominion was uh, a Venezuelan company that had been set up to rig elections? That was that, that, was Gili- that was Giuliani, I think. That came from Rudy Giuliani. But where did he get it from? Wasn't there some woman that that said that she knew it was true and that she was also a time traveler? <laughs> yeah, I think that was Sydney Powell. Yeah, I, I I can't remember who it was specifically. It may have been Sydney <laughs> Powell. I think. Oh my! Yeah, I mean it's it's laughable, right? <laughs> That's why <Yeah>. I'm laughing. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Why don't we move into Rupert Murdoch because there's a little secret that Rupi has been keeping from everyone, including Fox News themselves. And I think it's worth unpacking because I don't think the media has accurately explained why it's so significant. So why don't we take a look at that? In the days after the 2020 election, Rupert Murdoch was emailing his executives complaining that CNN's ratings were improving while Fox News was pulling back. We know all of that now. But here's the thing. When you go through the discovery process, when the two sides are, you know, going through that process where the court says, okay, this person can be subpoenaed, this person can be subpoenaed, you know, these keywords and and so on and so forth. It's quite a lengthy process, mind you. They need to know that the people that they're subpoenaing this information from in discovery, that making these requests were directly involved in the matter at hand. Now, Fox News is owned by Fox Corporation. Rupert Murdoch is the chairman of Fox Corporation. So technically, any correspondence that included Rupert Murdoch wasn't directly related to Fox News because he was the chairman of their parent company. He wasn't involved in the day-to-day operations of Fox News. But the problem was that they found out through deposition Murdoch was actually a company officer of Fox News. He wasn't just the chairman of the parent company. He was actually listed as an, a company officer of Fox News. Like, that's huge. Yeah, so, I mean, he admitted that he was on the SSC filings, but he said it was only for filing purposes, right, that he wasn't involved in the, in the day-to-day. But there was subsequent admissions, yeah, that he's, that he's actually like a corporate officer. So he must have to sign off on specific things. He actually had like a, a direct line into like the, um, into like the producers or what do they call it? Like the, the, um, yeah, studio the, the panel, yeah, the panel. And he'd call them up and tell them to do things. He'd, he'd be like watching sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he would have been doing that for sure. Just, just because, like he's ninety years old. I'm sure. What else has he got to do? That's why he. That's why he kept Fox. Like he he'd heavily be involved, man. But he's try, obviously trying to hide it because they would know that if they subpoena his shit, they're gonna they're gonna see all of the direction that he that, that he gave them. Yeah, and so Dominion's argument is that you know they didn't disclose this to us. Like they effectively hid this from us, 
And the judge even agreed and said, if I had known this earlier, you know, I would have enforced more discovery with Rupert Murdoch. I would have allowed more documents that are currently being withheld to be released. Now, this is why this is so important. I want to sort of go off on a little side quest here. Remember Alex Jones, Infowars, and how you know there was that billion-dollar ruling against him by the Sandy Hook families and, and the FBI officer? Yeah, yeah. How's he doing, by the way? Well, I don't know. I'm sure he's fine. But if you remember back to how that case went down, different to this case, but still there's an important takeaway. Alex Jones and his his legal team, they didn't cooperate with the subpoenas. They didn't cooperate in that discovery process. They That's contempt of court, man. That they withheld information, yeah. But what was the consequence of that? Well, basically, the trial of Alex Jones was only about the amount of damages those families and the FBI officer were entitled to. And that's something that we call liability by default. Like you said, Nico, willful non-compliance. So in effect, you lose automatically because you didn't cooperate with the court proceedings. Mm, well, I mean, it hasn't happened in this case so far. No, no, this, um, it's separate to this case. But my point is that that is a risk that you run when you willfully don't comply with yeah. court proceedings. So this is a small example of what Alex Jones and his legal team did on a much larger scale. Now, Fox News has a better reputation than Infowars and Alex Jones. I'll grant them that. But Fox News has to be careful because they really got... I mean, the judge emphasized how serious this issue was with Rupert Murdoch and, and that secret that he was actually a company officer. There is a risk that if you go too far, you can't have a fair trial and the judge will just say, that's it. You guys, you've pushed this too far. You've pushed me too far. It's over. Let's go straight to damages. You guys are liable by default. You haven't cooperated. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but Fox has to be careful that nothing else comes out like this because the judge already has them on notice. I mean, Fox News just yesterday went and, and apologized to the court, like wrote a letter. Uh, the, the judge said that he was considering putting a special investigator into place to look at these documents. Like, again, don't discount how potentially serious this is for Fox News. Special master, they call it. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, there's a point where the judge will just say, nah, this is too much. There's too much going on here. I'm not interested. This is willful non-compliance. Boom. Liable by default. Now, again, yeah, so I, I don't I think, think it'll happen, think what, but no, this is, what, this is what, how it happens. What did happen, though, was I think they got leave to be able to refile their or, re, or redo their depositions if they wanted to, right? Because they did them They did them in the in the first case without without this knowledge. So they'll be able to go redo depositions and Fox is going to have to cop the cost on it, right? And and it gives and it gives the um, plaintiffs think, extra time. I don't think time. they care about the cost, yeah. What do you mean? Of course they care about the cost. You, you reckon? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a slap on the wrist. It's like a naughty, naughty. Like it shouldn't be the cost of um, the defense team. I mean, look. I think they're, they're more be worried for- about $1.6 billion dollars than they are about the cost of, you know, a little <laughs> bit of the court's time. 
Is that why they said sorry? Because they are, they know that they're on thin ice, like they don't want to annoy the judge. Yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, look to br- bring this back Sucking to up. <laughs> bring this back into an Aussie context that some of our listeners will know about. In the Lerman case, right? In the Lerman case, remember in that in that um, interlocutory hearing where there were all of these new text messages that that came out, and it was like, oh, whoops, these 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 were relevant. Whoops! Oversight in discovery. Remember, and then they took it. They took a break, and they had to um, prepare like the extra, like messages in the um, in the evidence briefs to put the extra messages in. That yeah, I think it's yeah, but that was on the plaintiff side, right? That was on the applicant side. That was on the applicant. No, but yeah. it's the same thing, right? It's I don't the same think thing. it is. But what I was going to say was, even in that, and they went, "Oh, whoops, sorry, oversight." The judge made a point. They had to then. The the judge basically said, "I need an explanation. You need you need to give me an affidavit as to how this happened." Yeah, this is so much worse. It's a serious thing. It is a serious thing. You're right, but I think I think it's worse when the defense does it because they're literally on the defense already. Makes them look very sneaky. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look good when the defense side is withholding information. I agree with you. It's serious either way, but I think the magnitude is so much worse if it's the defense. But uh, absolutely, it's a very serious problem. Folks, if you're involved in legal proceedings, don't hide shit. That's <laughs> it, right. It won't burn, work out. Bur- burn, it, burn it and destroy it way ahead of the subpoenas, it, right? I mean, just on that, the problem is there's so much evidence that it was actual malice. There's so many emails, text messages, and that's the thing. Like, they really didn't realize, and I've, I've, I say this whenever we cover discovery and subpoenas and requests from the court when we have these discussions on the show. I just find it so interesting how they didn't take any measures to try and hide the fact that they were clearly in the knowledge that it was all bullshit. Like, they were quite openly discussing that it was a commercial decision that they needed to make. You don't put that stuff in writing. I'm, I'm not sort of encouraging anyone to break the law and, and to hide it. But really, Fox News, I mean, these people are veterans. Rupert Murdoch is a veteran. Didn't he know that they were clearly defaming Dominion and that in discovery, all of this stuff would be subpoenaed? Yeah, but... Nobody expects these kind of cases to actually happen, right? Yeah, but they, they probably do it on a day to day basis. They, they just. But know. out of all these scenarios, surely in this specific scenario, you would have some forethought to the fact that you were clearly making stuff up and peddling a conspiracy <laughs> that all of this is going to come too out. too worried about losing all their viewers at the time. Probably didn't even think it was an afterthought. They were just probably more worried about their platform going down. Yeah. And this would have been an afterthought. Yeah, definitely. Look, yeah, maybe maybe they made that calculation and were like, oh, well. I mean, they all hate Trump. Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Rupert Murdoch, they think he's a moron. And but they've said it. But their viewers love him. But their viewers love him. That's that's the whole point I was saying. It's like audience capture, right? They had to they had to effectively do this to appease their audience. But their audience knows that they hate him. That's that's what I don't get. Do you know what I mean, Liv? Yeah, I know what you mean. I guess they that might be what makes it more exciting, though, for the viewers, is they know that he's unliked by the network, but they put him on anyway, so it's like a two-for-one deal. <laughs> they get to watch the entertaining, you know? Yeah, they're, they're forced to, to pedal they're forced to, yeah, exactly. Trump's talking points. Yeah, right. Hole. 
Wow, that's. I mean, there have been previous cases. I think it was separate, though, with Tucker Carlson, where he's had legal issues, and basically his lawyers have argued, you know, this is not news. This is entertainment. And further, I'm pretty sure their lawyers have argued previously that the audience knows that. Like anyone who watches Tucker Carlson knows that it's not news, that it's not fact-based. Oh, you have to fact-check him, yeah. That it's purely entertainment. Well, are they trying to say it's like uh, it's like WWF wrestling? People know <laughs> it's all it's all fake. Like, come well, on. Well, same with Alex Jones. He, Alex Jones' lawyer argued that Alex Jones is playing a character. Mm. Anyway, that's crazy. So, what are the consequences of all of this? I mean, how does this all play out? Well, let's have a nice little summary so we can sort of taper off here. There are three key points, and I always bring this up with defamation proceedings. Number one, were the claims demonstrably untrue? Yes, the court has already said that. We know that. But number two is, were the claims made with intent to harm? Maybe. We're not there yet. That's what this case is about. And then thirdly, did the respondent suffer damages as a direct result of those claims? Again, that's a maybe. That's what the court is there to decide. So we've already ticked off... Number one, are the claims demonstrably untrue? Yes. Those other two, uh, malicious intent or what do they call it, actual malice and you know direct damages, that's for the jury to decide in this case. So it all comes down to the motivation and intent of Fox News. The next five weeks is not going to be this high drama in the courtroom. It's going to be a forensic investigation about you know who knew what, when did they know it? And what actions did they take with that knowledge? Now, the scary thing is that I think Fox has a chance here. I mean, obviously they do. I mean, they haven't settled, which is interesting because Fox News, I think just last week or a couple of weeks ago, settled with someone in Venezuela about the same thing because they claimed that this was a conspiracy theory that came from Venezuela. So they settled that in the background but they haven't settled this case. So just think, for example, what does it mean if Fox News wins, if they're found not to be liable? I think it's pretty scary because it means that there's basically a free-for-all. You can say whatever you want, even if you know it's not true and you're protected by the First Amendment. How does that sit with you two? If they win, it just goes to show there's no accountability for what news, what journalists get to say on air, if it's true or not, is there? I think the Fox News lawyers would be trying really hard to be settling this. It's just that Dominion is asking too much and they probably won't budge because Dominion know they've got a good chance of winning, mm-hmm. especially after all this discovery, man. Like, it's just, it's just a calculation of damages basically, right? I, I think it is. But the flip side to that will be, well, why doesn't if, – if there's such a high probability of liability, why doesn't Fox settle? You're saying because the number's too high. Oh uh, well, I mean, people always take a chance when they're going going to trial. Uh, I mean, did we discuss that the uh, the jurisdiction of Delaware? So oh, yeah, you should explain that. The funny thing is, is that most corporations in the U.S. they're all incorporated in Delaware. Why? So in the in the U, in the U.S. they don't have kind of like a federal place for incorporation like we do in Australia. Like traditionally in Australia, you could actually incorporate under state laws. Anyway, so so in the US, it's all state-based. And the reason everybody loves 
art to incorporate in Delaware is because there's no like state level tax. So it's a very friendly jurisdiction for corporations. So both um, Dominion and Fox are incorporated in Delaware. So yeah, that's right. why it's it's an it's an appropriate forum for them to uh, bring these proceedings in in Delaware. I read a stat before. Isn't that like sixty six percent of Fortune five hundred companies are incorporated in Delaware? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, if you're not if you're not going to try to incorporate in some crazy like uh, yeah Cayman Islands or something, Cayman Islands mm. or something, then yeah, like if you're going to incorporate in the US, the the advice is incorporate in Delaware. Yeah. Even I mean, you, you don't even have to have head offices there. Like a lot. Of yeah, yeah. They're not headquartered there. They're just incorporated. Yeah. It's just a legal document, right? Yeah. So in Delaware, for these defamation trials, there's juries. So, and in the US, they get to like question their jury. Like you actually get like to give questionnaires out to to um, potential jurors, and there's this whole science of investigating like jurors, right? So maybe Fox reckon if they can throw a lot of money at it. They can get the right jurors uh, on the jury. They can have it yeah, swing their wow. way. Just like an, another side quest on the whole jury thing. I read yeah. over the weekend that Donald Trump in his his criminal proceedings in New York tried yeah. to get like the the names, like the identities of all the jurors and it was rejected because you know what they do? They'll go and get like private investigators to find dirt, like find the history on each of those jurors and, you know, and show why they're potentially biased. You know, maybe they're like a card carrying Democrat. Maybe they have a history of social media posts, you know, denouncing Trump and being never Trumpers and whatnot. And what they do is they use this as a delay tactic because remember, Trump intends to run for the 2024 election. So he wants to push this out as far as he can. They want to delay and delay and deflect as much as they can. And there are all these little, I mean, we don't have that here in Australia, right? I mean, jurors are highly protected and that process takes place uh, behind closed doors, right, Nico? Like there's a difference between how they do it in the US yeah, versus yeah. here. Yeah, not, not only that, in, in the US, jurors can talk about the trial afterwards. Yeah, sell books not, and stuff. Not, yeah, they do. Yeah, it's illegal in Australia. Yep. Which is which is good. I mean, you don't want to be like you don't want to be fishing to be a juror, like on a massive trial, so that you can cash in, you know, with sixty minutes afterwards. Yeah, but it's it's really weird over there because they give them questionnaires, so that they they have questionnaires to make sure that they're not biased one way or another. Whereas in in Australia, like the most you can do is basically between the the juror walking like into the into like the little like jury like panel area, you're allowed to put your hand up and go challenge. That's about it. Yeah, so right. you have to do it based on how they walk, you know, Yeah. how they how they look. You know, does this person look like a bit of a lefty? Yeah. Are they going to be a holdout for me? Mm -hmm. they, they smell like, a little bit, so they're probably a greenie. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You like, know, in, but that's basically it. But in, but in the yeah. US, yeah, there's a whole, in, there's a whole industry behind Definitely. Like, investigating jurors and, yeah, like finding out, like what their political persuasions are, like mining all of their social media data. Something similar happened. Matter. Sorry, Liv. Like what? The judge surely would know that they're going to do that, correct? To the jury. But so it's what's okay. the point of having a jury, though? Like it's. It's allowed. That's that's a good point, yeah. Liv. Yeah, it, I think. It kind of sets them up from the beginning, though, isn't it? Like it's not. 
Yeah, Liv's saying, well, sense. if we know this, why do they have juries? Like, why not just yeah, get a judge like, what's only? The point if they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good point, Liv. <laughs> That's a question that we can't answer. I was going to yeah. say uh, another side quest. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, at her trial, one of the jurors after the trial, after she was found guilty, it came out that they were a victim of or an alleged victim of child sexual assault. And so Ghislaine's legal team made an application to like for a mistrial because they weren't a, a neutral or an independent member of the jury because they, they would have been affected by the allegations that they were a, a victim of, of child sexual abuse. So there's so many different sort of biases that, you know, jurors can be accused of and whatnot. And uh, that was just an interesting one. But I, I think here with the uh, back to the Dominion systems, uh, voting systems uh, and, and Fox News, I think the jury's, uh, that's all done. The trial's ready to go, starts, to, um, starts tonight. By way of damages, Dominion's asking for $1.6 billion. How do they come to that number? And how does all of that work with, you know, economic damages, compensatory, punitive damages? Yeah, so they have to show that at least some of it is economic, right, in that calculation. So it'd be ec economic, which means they've, you know, actually lost business if they can show that. There's the reputational part, I guess, as well, um, which is that they've lost reputation because of this, which has led to loss of revenue. And then, interestingly enough, which... Again, you don't get in Australia, but then there's the whole question of punitive damages, right? And in De and in Delaware, in Delaware, um, punitive damages that can be capped at three times actual damages mm -hmm. or compensatory damages. Yeah. Um, sorry, that can be capped at three times compensatory damages, but if there's malice, right? There's no cap. Right. So potentially, potentially. They would get even more impunitive damages yeah, than they're getting for compensation. Let, let's let's split this up because there was a report that Dominion commissioned that they filed with the court that lays out why they're claiming one point six billion. So here's what they say: they say they lost sixteen mil in profits, more than seventy mil in potential business, and fourteen million dollars in legal security and those sorts of expenses. And here's the big one more than $900 million in value due to the conspiracy theories that Fox News was assisting to broadcast. So what you're basically saying is that that figure, those numbers that we've just gone through, they're actual compensatory damages, right? They're yep. actually like directly linked to some sort of loss, right? Material loss. What you're saying is that the jury could come on top and say, yeah, but punitive damages, because there was so much malice here, if that's the At, le ruling, at least times three. Yeah, yeah, they could just, they could go into the multiple billions. And um, I mean, let's be clear here. Fox Corporation's a big company, but you know, it's not Apple. It's not one of those massive tech companies that, you know, with trillion dollar valuations. But we also have to remember that there are other cases out there this is only one case that Dominion has against Fox News. They have a case against Rudy Giuliani, against Sidney Powell, against that what's that My Pillow CEO? He's like <laughs> a full the pillow guy. Yeah, he's a full the, 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 yeah, yeah, the yeah. Newsmax guy. Yeah, he's like a full right wing nut job. What's his name? Is it, he yet. must be one of the owners of, of Newsmax? Because I was going to say Michael yeah, like, Lindell. They should be going after Newsmax, man. But obviously, uh, Fox has more money. 
Anyway, ladies and gents, we've exhausted the extent of our expertise here. So I think we might leave it at that. Nico Lifster, thanks for joining me. Catch you next time. See you, folks. See ya. Bye. Bye.